From in-depth analysis of basketball and football to life advice, Ryan Russillo has got you covered on the Ryan Russillo podcast. Join him as he talks to some of the best names in sports while providing sharp analysis and wit you won't find elsewhere. Check out the Ryan Russillo podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type, Easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Coming up on New York, New York, the next man up Mets. Do the unthinkable and win a series down in Atlanta. Maybe, just maybe, the Mets starting to slay those Georgia Demons. We got a lot more on that. The Yankees would also, it's a clutch hitting. What a concept. Down in Arlington against the Rangers. Busy night of baseball. Plus, we got you covered with all the basketball. We know it's going to be the Knicks and the Hawks. Now we know it's going to be the Nets taking on Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. We'll have mayoral candidate. Andrew Yang is going to join the show. Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer breaking down the NBA postseason. Plus, some serious prices in the NBA playoffs. We'll give you a take on Warriors and Lakers, plus the PGA Championship later on this week. So a ton of beaks, too. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. To episode 20 of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Welcome in. Hard to get to as we get closer and closer to the first round of the NBA playoffs getting going. And it was a very juicy night of baseball and a very good night of New York baseball. And we had mentioned this on Sunday night's pod. For the New York Mets, they have been a team trying to get over this hurdle that has been the Atlanta Braves over the last couple of years. Atlanta has owned them in games that have mattered, 
in games of significance, in games down the stretch of the year. The Mets go to, I was going to say turn of field, but they don't call it turn of field anymore. What is it? SunTrust? Whatever the hell the name of the stupid stadium, the Mets never win in Atlanta. And you went into this series not feeling particularly good. Why? You were fresh off a sweep against the Tampa Bay Rays. Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto go on the injured list. The Mets, since May the 1st, have lost J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, Albert Almora, Jacob DeGrom, and on Monday night, they lose Kevin Pillar in what was one of those gruesome, cringeworthy type of sequences where he gets hit in the face. And I've always been a fan of Kevin Pillar. Going back to his days in Toronto, he was with the Red Sox and the Rockies. The guy's a flat-out gamer. The guy gives you everything he's got. To see Pillar meeting with the media before today's game, all bruised, battered, and beaten, that was awesome. That's being a badass. No ifs, no ends, no buts. And in some way, you have to wonder if the Mets in Tuesday night's performance here against the Atlanta Braves were galvanized trying to win one for Kevin Pillar. If they were, more power to them. But here's the narrative that's going with the New York Mets that you absolutely love. They're losing guys left and right. It's not slowing them down in the standings because since May the 1st, where they lost all those aforementioned names, they are 11 and 5. They're a first place team. And guys are stepping up like crazy. Jonathan VR. Where would the Mets be without Jonathan VR? Peralta is chipping in. The hero on Tuesday night, Tomas Nito. Who I think a whole lot of Mets fans are going to want to see more of if James McCann continues to slump. All in all, you got this cast of thousands chipping in. Helping out. And the Mets are finding ways to win. That's a great, great sign. And I'm not ready quite yet to equate this to what the 2019 Yankees did. Remember that Yankee team? It was next man up. I mean, they basically played 650 baseball from April on, and it was the laundry list of injuries. I can't say that yet here on May the 18th, but it's a really, really good sign that the Mets go to a place that is a house of horrors for them with a depleted roster, with no DeGrom going in the series, losing Walker on Monday night, and finding ways to win. And how about the bullpen? You go with a bullpen game tonight. Nine innings of three-run baseball with 15 Atlanta Braves strikeouts, and I know the Braves are not hitting, they're not playing well. They didn't play well all year. Doesn't matter to me. Because the Mets, in order to win this division, needed to build confidence, needed to beat this team. You overcome bottom of the eighth inning. I didn't like Louis Rojas sticking with Aaron Loop to start the inning. I I didn't agree with the decision. I didn't support the decision. Gives up a leadoff double. Put Familia in a really tough spot. When Osuna gets that broken bat hit, ties the game, you're thinking Atlanta's going to win. I know I was thinking Atlanta was going to win. That's a rally back in the ninth inning with the Nito Homer. 
It's one of the best wins, if not the best win of the year for the Metropolitans. Good stuff. And it puts you in a position where Wednesday's game, house money. I know a lot of people don't like that term and it bothers them, but in reality, it's house money for the Mets. They needed to win a series in Atlanta. Mission accomplished. For the Yankees, after sticking up the joint on offense on Monday night, losing a Garrett Cole start, you didn't want to see this series in Texas after what was a really, really good road trip take a nasty turn. And when Jamison Tyon gives up three runs, basically spearheaded by walks and the overturned call on a pickoff, looked like Gary Sanchez nabbed the runner, third out of the inning. You're thinking, all right, no runs, no harm, no foul. Instead of that happening, you see Texas explode for three runs. You're saying, oh, geez. The Yankees against this awful Ranger team that was abominable on the road are going to go now and lose this game on Tuesday and put some pressure on them for the rest of this series. With everybody in the American League East doing their part. I was not feeling particularly good. Down three to nothing. But to the Yankees' credit, I would say the Yankees, Tuesday night, had their best offensive inning of the year in the top half of the fourth inning. Why do I say that? Because we talk all the time about the Yankees being this all-or-nothing type of offense. And let's be honest, in many cases, they are this all-or-nothing type of offense. But the Yankees strung together, hit after hit after hit after hit. Case that in the broadcast. It was like an oldie station. The old CBS FM, the hits just keep on coming. That's the way it felt. Good. High quality at bats. It's a thing of beauty. From Ruggie Odor to Gio Rochella to Aaron Judge to Gary Sanchez. We had a little scare about leg cramps where he's leaving the game. And his at bats have been much better. Loved what I saw out of the Yankee bats in the top half of the fourth inning. There's a difference in the game. And I got a little bit of friendly advice for Aaron Boone. My treat. Free of charge. Miguel Andujar needs to play. Period. End of story. Miguel Andujar needs to play. This is a team that's struggling to score. Quinn Frazier has done nothing. Andujar, at least for now, has looked competent out in the outfield. Play him out there. Gleyber Torres is coming back off the COVID list Wednesday. If I see Andujar get sent down to that alternate side of the minor leagues, whatever the hell they're calling it these days, I'm going to lose my shit. I'm telling you that right now. I'm going to lose it on social media. So make a mental note of that if I get that notification at some point tomorrow. And Duhar's got to be on this team. Because you know what he does? He provides a different element to what the Yankees have in this lineup. The Yankees got all these boppers. And Duhar's kind of a slasher. He gets up. I equate it to a golf term. He grips it and he rips it. He's going to whiff from time to time. But he puts a whole lot of hard hit contact into play. And he's got a hit, different type of hitting style. I think it could work for this Yankee team. I'm playing him a lot more. I'm riding his bat. And the last couple of games, I saw it down in Baltimore over the weekend, and I've seen it these first two games against the Rangers. Lively. Very, very lively. And no, not Blake Lively, who was at a Yankee game a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing how I could tie that in full circle. But a good day for the Yankee bats. 
a good day for Andujar. And Tyon, not great. To me, he is shaping up to be the casualty in this rotation when Luis Severino comes back or if they want to give Davey Garcia another shot. Tyon is just not giving the Yankees enough length in these games. And I know it's a great story. He's coming back off of cancer and he's coming back off of two Tommy Johns. He's going to be at the bullpen sooner rather than later. I, I think we're heading on that sort of inevitable collision course. That said, even with a so-so start, Peralta, Luizaga, Green, Chapman, brilliant. Money. Both of these bullpens for both the Yankees and the New York Mets, top-notch stuff. So, good night in New York baseball. Mets, starting to slay that dragon a little bit down in Atlanta. And the Yankees, bouncing back down three to nothing. The way the bats looked the first 14 innings of this series, that was unexpected in the top half of the fourth inning. So you had all that going on tonight. You had the Islanders had a tough loss against the Penguins. Bad start. Had a power play late. Thought they had a chance to tie it. No and void. No harm, no foul. They got the split as they head back to the aisle. So I was into that. And then I had the NBA playing going on. And let's be honest, both games absolutely stunk. Both games were just dreadful. Indiana absolutely whooped Charlotte. Was the O'Shea Brissett coming out party. For somebody who bleeds orange, that was quite a sight to behold. You had that going on in game one. And in game two, Jason Tatum was just off the charts. And taking out Russell Westbrook and the Washington Wizards. And just goes to show you, Westbrook in the postseason is a guy you want to fade. You want to fade him at all costs. Celtics could not have played worse down the stretch of this year. Meant nothing in this game, though, because Jason Tatum was by far and away the best player on the floor. My buddy who's a Celtics fan said, if we're going to win this game, he's got to drop 50. Well, he nailed that take. 50 points for Jason Tatum. So now, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, Kyrie Irving will be hearing from the Boston faithful for the first time. Won't be the same as 18,000 people going nuts and giving them the business, but there'll at least be a wrinkle of that for this Celtic net first round series, which, by the way, will not be all sorts of competitive. Maybe, maybe I'm giving Boston a game if Jason Tatum can just go off like he did tonight. But like I have said countless times here on New York, New York. There's not one team in this plan that would have been keeping me up at night if I were Brooklyn. So it's Boston instead of Washington. Oh, well, this series will be over in four or five. Long story short, we got a jam-packed show. We don't do politics on this show, but when a mayoral candidate reaches out to join us, we put him on, especially when he has a take regarding the New York basketball that I just cannot understand. So... Andrew Yang is going to check in in New York, New York. The great Kevin O'Connor from the mismatch, the ringer NBA extraordinaire. He's going to make his New York, New York debut. We got voicemails coming up. We got a voicemail out of the gate, if I'm not mistaken. Saruti, who's up? Hey, John, it's Jamal in Hicksville. You already know who this is. Let's get to it, Dostrensky. I don't give a bleeping fuck about the Atlanta Hawks, the Peach State, the ETL Southhead, Ludacris, Usher, Trey Young's hairdo from 30 years ago that he stole from Ice Cube and it was a good day 28 years ago approximately. My New York fucking Knicks are going to go there and we're going to pound the living bricks out of these fucking people. You hear me? In the words of the immortal Avon Barksdale from The Wire, fuck all those east side 
Atlanta business. All right? So my man, not Caesar, but Julius Randle, is going to come with not Romeo, but Derrick Rose, and we're going to beat the living shit out of the Atlanta Hawks. Now, you tell your boys in Atlanta, too, John, that we're coming. All right there, big boy? How about my main man, Jamal from Hicksville? Doing something he could not do on my radio show for nine years. Drop a couple F-bombs. Throw in a little bit of profanity. More power to him. Jamal, I think a whole lot of relatives and folks who might be living down in the Atlanta area are not going to be hearing from New Yorkers over the next couple weeks. Maybe after the series. Then you could pound your chest and do what you need to do. We'll get into this series a little bit more in detail coming up. It's simple, though. Contain Trey Young. Neutralize the Atlanta size and control the pace. Knicks play defense, and they do so at a high level. I like their chances of winning this series. Loaded shell. Where else would you rather be? Mayoral candidate Andrew Yang is up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So we don't normally do this because normally I try to stay away from the political side of things. But when a mayoral candidate reaches out and wants to come on the show and there's a whole lot going on in New York sports, we got to welcome in a mayoral candidate, Andrew Yang. What's happening? Hopefully soon to be Mr. Mayor. How are you, sir? Working on it. Thank you, John. It's great to be here with you. Freaking NBA playoffs about to start. Uh, Is is it fair to say that the plan is the start of the playoffs? I feel like it is, right? Oh, no doubt. And Andrew, listen, this year in the play-in, we actually have LeBron James and Steph Curry involved. So it's not like you're getting, you know, the participation trophy type teams. The Lakers are like the second favorite to go win an NBA title, for goodness sakes. And they're playing in the play-in. Yeah, it's fascinating. You have to think that it's weird to be the one or two seed because you're like, who are we going to play? We busted our tails all year to get home court. And like, now we don't know if we're going to play LeBron or Steph or, or, or whatever's going on out there. Um, but yeah, this play-in, I think it's going to be the highest rated single game um, outside of like a game seven that we've probably seen in years. I got to take you to task on this. And I like you personally. You got to explain this to me. I'm a diehard New York Knickerbocker fan. And I get it, Andrew. They have stunk. They've been an embarrassment for 20 years. But do you have any reservations now about abandoning ship considering Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, most fun I've had as a Knicks fan in 20 years? And Andrew, do you feel like you're a part of it right now or are you kind of on the fence with that? I am pumped for New York, John. I'm pumped for Knicks fans like you. I'm pumped for my friends who are Knicks fans. And I remember New York is just a better place where the Knicks are doing well. Uh, 
so I grew up, I'm a little bit older than you, I think, John. How old are you? I'm 33, just turned 33. So those Ewing Riley days are like my formative years as a sports fan, Andrew. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember, uh, like, uh, you know, so uh, you would have been very young um, during, like, the uh, Ewing versus Jordan battles. Do you remember that stuff? Oh, I do. Yeah, because I'm I'm a crazy person. So I remember stuff from when I was, like, six, seven years old, like, hysterically crying when Ken Griffey Jr. slid across home plate in the 95 Division Series. Seven-year-old JJ's hysterically crying. Yes. So I grew up. On the Ewing era, Knicks, it was Ewing, Starks, Oakley, Mason, Harper, all those guys uh, going down in defeat, unfortunately, uh, you know, to the Jordan Bulls over and over again. Um, but every year I was so pumped for, up for it. And then we made the finals in 94 and then lost to the Rockets. And then we got back to the finals in 99 with Sprewell and the gang. So I was a huge Knicks fan. John, and I know how much better New York City is. I was, there was like a, almost a literal parade when we won uh, that game where LJ hit the four-point play. I was in the garden for that stuff. You were at the garden for the four-point play. Is that so? I was in the garden for the four-point play. I wasn't in the garden, but I was watching when we uh, took that one game off of the Spurs. Uh, in the finals in 99 and like everyone was like running around it was like a mini parade of like jubilation that we'd like won a finals game um so i i'm with you in my deep deep uh, former love for the knicks but just what you're feeling right now in terms of all of the excitement and jubilation of being a knicks fan i felt that during the insanity uh like in 2013 and then uh, and I can't tell you how much that time meant to a lot of New Yorkers. But as, frankly, an Asian dude who likes uh, to play basketball myself, like seeing Jeremy Lin take the garden by storm was like, like literally a dream come true. <laughs> he's lighting up Kobe. Andrew, he's lighting up Kobe, for goodness sakes. I was at that game when he lit up the Lakers. It was like, who is this kid? How is he taking over New York City? It was wild. It was absolutely insane. Well, you were at that game. That's incredible. That game was like a movie script uh, come to life. And so then when we dumped Jeremy Lin for over money, essentially, I just was so pissed off and devastated and heartbroken. I was like, I just can't do this anymore. So you couldn't get over it. Because listen, I think a lot of Knickerbocker fans were in your camp. The following year, though, Andrew, because I wanted the Knicks, full disclosure, to bring back Lin. They won 54 games. I think it was Carmelo. Like, that was, like, the only good year they have had since the Ewing days and since, you know, Sprewell and Houston and all those guys. So, like, for at least one year, I was able to forgive the Knickerbockers. I think the Oakley situation and all the nonsense with Dolan over the years, that, for me, more than anything else, has kind of pushed me to the brink. I've hung on. I haven't exactly been, like, proud in my you, chest, John. but this, I've hung on. This is on. the perspective I wanted us to share because – you know, when a fan heckles you and then you ban that fan, I guess, for life from the garden. I mean, like, that's not right. That's lame. I agree with that. That's lame. And I, I remember that one year post Lynn and, and uh, it, it was fascinating because it was during that time, like the Knicks had a great year that year. But I just like I was like, I just can't get into it in the same way. Um, and, and so uh, like I had my heart broken when they dumped Jeremy Lynn and it just never really came back. And this is from someone who. Like the sounds of the garden um, and 
the organ and everything. It's like emblazoned in my mind with so many childhood memories. Uh, and so giving that up was really difficult for me. It was like a defining part of my life for so many years. And then when I became something of a basketball nomad, that was also really difficult for me. I was looking around being like, okay, like I, I don't know what to do with myself now that I'm a Knicks fan. It was very tough. Uh, and so I slowly started following the Nets and, and uh, getting into them. Um, and uh, it wasn't easy, but no, like going to games there and like the games were cheaper. I'd, you know, I'd bring my, uh, then eventually I became a dad and I was like trying to get my kids into it and, uh, you know, and, and, and the rest of it. So, uh, so I get it. I'm super pumped for you and every Knicks fan. This has been an incredible story. Thibodeau genuinely could have been coach of the year. Randall, I'm not sure we've ever seen a player evolve so dramatically, uh, you know, after a number of years in the league. RJ Barrett, I was really concerned about him last year. <laughs> well, now he's he can shoot the along. ball like crazy. It's amazing. You spend some time in the gym, Andrew, a whole lot of hard work. You see it pay off. So if it's the Knicks and the Nets, and I'm hoping this happens, quite frankly, because it'll be great for the podcast. It'll be great for New York City. The Knicks are playing the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who is Andrew Yang rooting for? Well, let's play this out just because it's going to be so much fun. All right. Knicks against the Hawks, first round, 4-5. Knicks home court advantage. I would have to favor the Knicks in that, that matchup. I mean, it would I think that's a good take. Favorites, right? I like that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, and I'm not sure Trey Young's style really is going to work as well in the playoffs. I, like, I, I appreciate how skilled Trey is, but I, I just don't know. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not sure that team is built for playoff success. So, Let's say the Knicks take that series in six. What do you think, John? I think that's a good official prediction. I love that I'm breaking out my first series prediction, by the way, with you. But I might as well when the big guns are out. I'm with you there. I think the Knicks win this series in six or seven games. Okay. And now you're the Nets who are the two seed. And the question is, who are they going to play in the first round? Whoever they plan to play in, skip it right there. They're winning that series. They're not losing any of those teams. Yeah, that's right. Though... I guess, let, let's look at it. They could end up playing either the Celtics or the Wizards. Which of those teams is going to be the team that you'd rather play? Avoid? I'd rather avoid Washington. I'd rather avoid Washington, I think too. they're playing better basketball. I think the Celtics are cooked. I think they're cooked. Yes. But I agree with you. You'd favor the Nets in either case. Uh, I'd rather they play the beat-up Celtics, too. So let's call that one Nets in five. It's like gentleman sweep. Uh, and I'm playing this out in part because... Uh, the Knicks would have to beat the Sixers <laughs> to end up playing. That'd be a hell of a series. Sign me up right now. Sign me up right now, Andrew, for the Knicks and the Sixers in a second round series, please. And it looks like that's where we're heading. So if the Knicks beat the Hawks, you got, I mean, the Sixers should breeze through. And, um, and so let's see Knicks against Sixers. You'd have to favor the Sixers. Unfortunately, I would like the Sixers homer. in that series. My heart says Knicks. My head says Philadelphia, unfortunately. But if the Knicks were to somehow upset the Sixers, the Knicks would be one of the greatest stories in uh, in years. And then they'd be playing the Nets uh, in the conference finals. And I'd still be pulling for the Nets. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we have that on record. I'm glad that we do. So would you say that the Larry Johnson four-point play, the best sporting event you've ever attended in person? Yes. Uh, the only thing that could potentially rival it is I went to uh, Mets World Series game, uh, which was which was a blast. 
even though we lost. So that made it less of a blast. What year did you go to a, so you're, you're a Met fan. That was going to be one of my next questions. I didn't know what baseball allegiance you had. You're a Yankee guy. You're a Met guy. Seems like you're a Met guy. I'm very much a Mets guy. Uh, I became a fan and again, I'm going to date myself. Sorry, everyone, but uh, Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Gary Carter. Ah, I mean, that's not too bad, Andrew. It's not like you were throwing out the 69 Mets, for goodness sakes. I, I think this audience can relate to the 86 Mets, maybe a few of them. Yes. So the World Series I went to was uh, we played. I think, was, I think it was 2015. Oh, against Kansas City. The most recent World Series was against Kansas City. Correct. Yes. And we lost that game. Kansas City really beat us. <laughs> well, they were a hell of a team. You know what? They made the World Series game seven the year prior against San Francisco. And that was like when Madison Bumgarner put on the Superman cape. There, there was no way in the world, Andrew, even though Mets fans are going to want to hear this, that the Mets were winning that World Series. That was that was a tough opponent. Very tough opponent. Yeah, they, they, they had our number. That's for sure. Um, so between those two live game experiences, I'd have to give it to the garden, uh, LJ's four point play, man, when that happened, you all see the footage. I mean, the, the garden was just bananas. I was there with, uh, my, um, childhood friend who in some ways I credit with turning me into a Knicks fan, a guy by the name of Mika Grady, where he was into basketball before I was. So you seem like a great dude, super likable, super personable. And you know what comes with the territory of being mayor of New York City. I mean, look at our current mayor. He's rocking the Brooklyn shirt. He's getting destroyed by everybody on social media. I got to ask, Andrew, and I know you're looking to help people, and I know you're looking to make a difference. Why run for mayor? I'm running for mayor just because I think I can help, John. Uh, the fact is our city is in bad shape, and we need someone who's going to approach things with a fresh eye, free of politics and ideology and owing people favors. I'm just going to come in and try and get shit done as best I can with the expectation that uh, I'm not going to get everything right. And also people are going to be pissed off some of the time because that's just life and that's New York City. Um, but I, I just would feel really small if I didn't step up and do my part. And I think I can do a lot for people. So if, if I wasn't running, I would actually feel like I was shirking, if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. And, you know, Andrew, we think about this past year and the hardship and the adversity it's brought on so many different people with COVID and whatnot. And then you think about people who have lost jobs. And it was so encouraging. I went into the village last weekend, met a buddy for dinner, went to John's on Bleecker. West Village is hopping. I was in the Upper East Side a couple of weeks ago. It is hopping. So this narrative that New York City is dead, I, I think is total bullshit. But then you go to some areas and, you know, I'm, I'm reading about things that are going on on the subway and, you know, you find your way in the midtown and it's just it's not the midtown and I'm used to seeing pre pandemic. New York City as a whole, from start to finish, top to bottom. How do we get New York back to where it was before COVID? Everything starts with people being safe on the subway, safe on our streets. Because when you're seeing those stories, John, there are people around the country. It's scary, Andrew. I'll be honest. You know, and I'm a guy who rode the subway every single day. My sister is going to Yankee Stadium on Sunday. I don't like the idea that I got to have reservation about her going on the subway. That's not what New York's all about. You know that. Yeah. So we have to make sure that the subways are safe uh, and that these incidents that people are seeing um, become you know, much less frequent than they are right now. Uh, and as mayor, that's my number one goal, because if we get that right, 
then you're going to see life return to a lot more businesses and neighborhoods. People will be safe going out and visiting uh, and doing whatever it is that uh, will help drive a recovery. But if we can't have people feel safe on the streets and the subways and in their own neighborhoods, then nothing's going to work. Andrew, I'm a born and raised Staten Island guy, even though I'm living in Brooklyn now. So some in my forgotten borough are going to think I'm a little bit of a traitor. But you were doing a campaign stop on the Staten Island Ferry and actually helped somebody out. I saw this story. Talk me through what was going through your mind that day. I was just in Staten Island this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I got uh, endorsed. I hope they this. got you some good pizza in the process, Andrew. I hope they did. Yeah, Staten Island... I love Staten Island, uh, and I, I'm pleased to say that you know, like the the folks in Staten Island, I think are are gonna come out for the campaign. But the, this trip you're talking about happened a number of weeks ago. I was heading to Staten Island on a, an earlier uh, campaign event, and there was a man on the ferry that shoved a photographer that was with us to the ground with a pole, uh, and the photographer was just minding his own business. Like this person was mentally ill and uh, attacked someone for no reason. And so when I saw this happen, I said something like, holy shit, or, you know, like, like, like some kind of uh, expletive and then just uh, ran out to try and defuse the situation. And I put my hand on the shoulder of the attacker and he turned and then he saw me and his reaction was something like, Andrew Yang? Like, like he actually recognized me. And then he like puts the pole down and the photographer runs off. And then I'm like, hey, man, what's going on here? Like, whatever's going on, like, you know, there's no reason, uh, you know, uh, to, to be aggressive at all. And then he just kept looking at me being like, are you really here on this boat right now? And like, and then it, it really calmed him down. And then uh, the police came because the photographer went and got the police. And at this point, the man was no longer aggressive. Um, and so the police, after talking to him, uh, decided to let him go. But John, this story has something of a sad ending because four weeks later, this same mentally ill man on the ferry attacked an elderly 67-year-old Asian man on the subway and beat him um, and was then arrested. It's awful. awful. Uh, And that incident then reads as a hate crime because who else would attack a 67-year-old Asian man? Um, But having met the attacker, he was mentally ill uh, and uh, we needed to get him help before he attacked someone else. Um, Though I, you know, I don't... uh, uh, you know, I don't uh, begrudge the police because, you know, if you're there and like, are you going to arrest a guy for, um, you know, for shoving someone? Um, it wasn't clear at all. Uh, but as a city, we need to do more to get people help that need it. Well said. Uh, I'm pretty geeked out talking to a presidential candidate. So you go back to last fall and you're on stage. You got all these candidates, you know, trying to get their agendas out there and whatnot. And now a year later, you're running for mayor. What's the biggest takeaway that you had from being a part of a presidential campaign and what you're taking it into, what you're doing right about now? No, John, I'm going to do something I wouldn't ordinarily do, which is really make like a sports analogy. Uh, I like that. I mean, you're fitting in right with the audience. I mean, that's the the audience is going to relate to that, you know? Yeah. So running for president, someone joked with me. That it was like someone just jumped out of the stands and decided to try and like, you know, like join the major leagues <laughs> or something along those lines. I mean, if I tried to do that, it wouldn't end well, Andrew. I can guarantee you that. I'd strike out on three pitches. That's for sure. Well, I was doing my fair share of striking out, uh, but no one was noticing because, you know, it, it was in uh, 2018 when I was just trying to get attention. 
Um, uh, and uh, eventually I ended up making it to the big stages, like the debates you're talking about. And that was a trip. Uh, you know, the, the first time I got recognized on the street here in New York, uh, I was like, what? Like someone knows who I am, which is funny for someone running for president, because you think like the point is to be well known. But I was shocked. And then I thought, well, you know, it's just a strange occurrence. But then it happened more and more. Uh, and uh, when the campaign ended, um, I thought to myself, OK, I have to do something with this. Uh, so I started an organization to try and um, fight for cash relief. Uh, we gave $9 million away, including a million dollars to a thousand families in the Bronx, lobbied Congress, tried to help get cash relief passed. And uh, we had a hand in some of the uh, relief checks that went out to people. Um, and then the city right now is in such a tough condition. I said, you know, I want to help. Um, so it, and I don't know what level of sports you'd consider the mayor's race. It's like, maybe I went from, you know, like the stands to the major leagues to I guess you'd call this the major leagues too, because I would call running for mayor in New York city, the major leagues. I think that's a fair equation. I do, Andrew. Yeah. It's a different animal. You know, it, it's just as difficult in a different way. Um, so I agree with you. It is the major leagues. Final one. We'll end it on a lighter note. You think about all your years as a New York sports fan. Is there a favorite athlete you have over the years that you look back on 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and you know, thinking of that guy, whatever sport, whatever position kind of still brings a smile to your face. There are so many New York sports athletes that have left a massive impression on me. Uh, John Starks. Uh, oh, one of my guys. One of my yes. guys. M Mookie Wilson. For whatever reason, I always just love Mookie. <laughs> uh, but I, I've got this real soft spot for Larry Johnson. And it's not just because of the four point play. Um, but I just loved his game. Uh, I loved his spirit. He always just seemed like such a great teammate. He was always dapping people and like, you know, high-fiving everyone, had this big smile, so encouraging. Uh, and, and he had a skill level that even after his back went, he was still performing at a high level. I tried to emulate some of his post moves on the court. Like there's this one uh, move he has where he has the ball and he like turns baseline um and you know it looks like he's gonna shoot and he doesn't and then he, he tries to uh do a little bit of like a up and under um where i started doing that are you working on, on that in the Stafford games by the way you pulling that move out well that was one of the fun things about when i was running for president uh i was like hey guys to unwind uh or to, to relax before a debate or something let's just go find a court and then let me shoot around um and it was one of the ways i could stay loose and human um but i, I Really, I took a couple of moves from LJ, or at least I thought I did. Uh, and I just always loved that guy. I, you know, he, he's Oakley. I also have a really soft spot for the Oakley's game is no offense to you, Oak, but, you know, not the kind of thing you really take moves from. <laughs> it was not aesthetically pleasing. I, I, I understand that. And Andrew, one final one here for anybody who is undecided on who to vote for in this mayoral election. Why Andrew Yang? If you think things are going well in New York City right now, uh, then I may not be your guy. But if you think we need a different kind of leadership in New York, someone who's just going to focus on the facts, who wants to get shit done, who doesn't owe anyone anything, then I'm your candidate and I would love to be your mayor. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I can't wait to see those post moves. Maybe they'll be on Instagram. Uh, how's your golf game? Is golf something you do to unwind? That's my thing, Andrew, and I'm terrible at it. That's my... Uh, 
that's my guilty pleasure. I have a lot of friends who golf. It seems great. I have just never been able to get into it. Um, and, you know, maybe it's uh, that I just haven't had the opportunity, but it seems phenomenal. And I have friends who love it. So maybe you'll see them on, on some course. <laughs> yeah, you'll see me hacking it away. Continued success. Thanks for a couple of minutes. All the best, okay? Thanks, John. Let's go, New York. We got this thing. That's our dude. That's Andrew Yang, mayoral candidate. Up next, the ringers, Kevin O'Connor. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So let's welcome in for the first time making his New York, New York debut, one of the rock stars of The Ringer. You can check him out on the Mismatch podcast, the video host of The Void, The Ringer's NBA analyst. My dude, Kevin O'Connor, KOC. What up, dude? How we doing, man? What up? I'm excited to be on. How you doing? How are you enjoying the ringer? What's going on? So far, so good, my man. The pod has been a ton of fun. Taking names, kicking ass. Uh, Saruti's killing it. The billboard is beautiful. And now, you got to deliver, my man. You promise over the next 20 minutes, you're going to take some names and kick some ass? That's what I need out of you, okay? I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm really excited to be on. Okay, Kev, got to be real with you right out of the gate. What's the bigger shocker? The fact that you have a longtime radio host loving every minute of a career transition where I feel like I've been in podcast land for the last decade of my life? Or is it the fact that on this particular podcast, the New York Knickerbockers a team full of dysfunction and despair for 20 years have home court advantage in the first round. What's the biggest surprise? Uh, the, the answer is uh, that I wouldn't have picked the Knicks. You, you are a, a high draft prospect. So <laughs> Highly scouted very clearly. a little bit yep. more love than yep. the Knicks. Yeah. I would hope. Who could have seen, realistically here, Julius Randle has been had some nice moments in the past. He's had some good moments. Also, Knicks fans know many, many frustrating moments in the past who could have seen him turn into an all NBA candidate? I consider I didn't put him on my first team. I had Randall on my second team on my ballot, but he was in consideration for first team, in consideration for a top five MVP vote. Who could have seen Julius Randall improve his decision making, become a great playmaker? Who could have seen him become a very, very good defensive player? I didn't see it coming. I don't really think a lot of Knicks fans could have seen this coming, but he changed everything in addition to RJ getting better, Tom Thibodeau having a great head coaching season. Just so much worked in the Knicks' favor that I didn't expect, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people did not see this coming. It's unfathomable that they're And for me, KOC, it's all about Tibbs. Because to me, he's come in and he's established something they haven't had in basically 20 years. There's accountability, there's a culture, and – I look at the way guys have developed this year, not just Randall and not just Barrett. Think about this. This was a terrible shooting team at the beginning of the year. I don't know if it's sustainable. They're going to you know, continue to go and bank threes like they have over the last six weeks. But I think you look across the board, player development, team development. I think it starts and in many ways it ends with Tibbs. Yeah, and you know what? I think... Julius Randle, I believe he said this to Woj on his podcast, and he mentioned that he was asked about like the head coach search and all that, and he was like, I want somebody who holds me accountable. 
And Tibbs, all throughout his career, people talk about how he plays guys into the ground, high 30s minutes per game. And, like, he played the Knicks guys a lot this year. Like, like his best players played a ton. Um, But Tibbs doesn't get enough credit for some of his player development in the past. I think Jimmy Butler being one of the prime examples of that, of how he empowered Butler, handing him the ball, giving him opportunities. There was some stuff that they did and tried in Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. Some worked, some didn't. Point being is that Tibbs does have a history of helping some guys develop across his different jobs that he's had as a head coach, never mind when he was an assistant, going back to when he was in the Knicks years ago. So with Tibbs, what he's done with the empowerment of Julius Randle, saying you are going to be a guy we're going to run offense through, saying to R.J. Barrett, we're going to use you in spots, having Emmanuel quickly come off the bench and be a spark plug. Obi Toppin, for that matter, is really the only guy you can look at and say, ah, you know, he kind of got screwed here. He didn't get a ton of opportunities, but that's because the Knicks were so good. But even then, Obi Toppin being in some of those roles as a spot-up shooter, hopefully that helps him down the line. But Tibbs, I mean – what a year he had. It's amazing to see what he's done with the Knicks, uh, and hopefully they can keep it rolling in the years to come, too. Look, Monty Williams has done a phenomenal job. Quinn Snyder has done a phenomenal job. I thought Phoenix was going to be a playoff team at the start of the year. Utah has been a playoff team over the last few years. KOC, I know you have votes in, in such proceedings. I am going to be banging the table left and right for the next month that Tibbs should be NBA Coach of the Year. Are we on the same page? I voted for Monty Williams. Oh, you're killing me, bro. <laughs> and I like you. You broke my heart, Fredo. You broke my heart. <laughs> well, I mean, Monty Williams had a great year, too. He did. He, did. he, That's he fair. added layers to their offense throughout the course of the season. Monty Williams, the culture that he brought to Phoenix, the connectedness between the coaching staff and the players, that team learned how to play together. And their, their personality, it took a little bit of Chris Paul you know, with the toughness and the grit. But I think the Phoenix Suns also adapted some of the calm that Monty Williams brings to that franchise. So both of those guys, I gave Monty Williams the slight edge, partially just because the Phoenix Suns were near the I top of the conference I think if we would have had this West. conversation maybe a couple of weeks before the vote had to go in, I maybe could have swayed your opinion a little bit. M- maybe, maybe, maybe. I, I th- we'll never know. Chance. You never know. But the, the votes are in. Uh, had Monty won, uh, Tibbs two, and then Quinn Snyder three. Let's get to this first round series. I'm so fired up over the weekend. Oh, yeah. The Knicks are going to have home court advantage. And KLC, I've been saying it for weeks, dude. I wanted no part of Miami. Miami, with all their pedigree, playing in the finals last year. I know it's been a weird, uneven year for them. I didn't want to see them in the first round. I didn't want to see Giannis in Milwaukee in the first round. And I get it. Atlanta, with what Trey Young brings to the table, the size that they bring to the table, and the way they've played since Nate McMillan has taken over, They're a much different team than the one the Knicks beat throughout the regular season. But, you know, from a matchup standpoint, did they get the most winnable potential first-round series? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, unless you want to factor in, like, had the Celtics been able to get the five seed. Yeah, I'm not counting them. And I wanted that, by the way, because the bet was going in every which way with Simmons. Like, I I was putting (laughs) a mortgage payment on it, baby. Whatever it was going to be, I was in. Because the Hawks are playing pretty well, right? They are. And they just got DeAndre Hunter back, and that's a huge, huge guy to get back for them because Hunter gives them a big body defender who you can at least throw at Julius Randle and hope you can you know, bother him and get some stops. But I look at this series, and I am really excited to see what Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks do attacking the Hawks' defense. 
Will they try to target Trey Young possession after possession, get him onto switches, get him onto bigger guys, a Julius Randle and RJ Barrett, and attack him? I think that is what I've been looking forward to for years once Trey Young got to the playoffs. And on the other end of the floor, you know, I think the Knicks, you mentioned their hot shooting earlier. There's always a chance they cool off. But this team does have some potent shooting threats. They run hot. They run cold. Hopefully for the Knicks that they get a hot shooting uh, series. But even if they don't, I still think there's enough ways for them to beat the Atlanta Hawks and attack on the offensive end of the floor to score enough. And their defense, like if they win the series, it's because of their defense anyway. It's, it's an elite defense. What's the bigger concern, Trey Young or the size of Atlanta? I mean, it's, it's always Trey. Um, and it's kind of they connect together because – the size of Atlanta is because of what Trey does. You know, Trey being the pick and roll scorer that he is, what he can do shooting from 30 feet out, that's what allows Clint Capella on those rim runs to get those open shot opportunities. That's what allows John Collins to get those rim runs as well. So with the size that Atlanta has, a lot of it's due to Trey. And I wonder with the Knicks if we'll see some more wrinkles um, for what they normally did over the course of the regular season on defense. Will we see more switching? We see you know more doubling and pressure on Trey Young. Uh, I look forward to seeing that because Tibbs always comes out with something, and sometimes he might do it mid series too if they need it. Uh, but I, I would expect the Knicks to win the series. Um, over, I was Atlanta. going there. I, I did, that was yeah. going to be my next yeah. question. So yeah, I'm picking the Knicks to win this series in six to seven. I haven't decided on the amount of games. You will pick the Knicks to win this series. Knicks in six. Yeah, uh, oh, I, I would go. That. I would go Knicks in six. I, I love I, that. Now yeah. you're back in my good graces. Yeah. I mean, and this, I know you're telling it like it is, but now you're back <laughs> in my good graces. Okay, I, I'm Brooklyn. Not. I can't stand this team. I know they're super talented. They're super unlikable as far as I'm concerned. I know Kyrie had a great year. He's tough to take. Durant barely played all year. When he's on the floor, he's magnificent. And Harden, listen, Harden came from Houston where he didn't want to play. Came to Brooklyn, played some of the best basketball of his career. But these guys, KOC, have barely played all year. How legitimate a concern is that for you? You know, I've seen teams flip the switch plenty of times throughout my years of watching sports. When you don't have that chemistry and that rapport, though, (laughs) it's fair to wonder, is it doable? How feasible is it, you think, for Brooklyn to just, you know, get ready for the postseason every other day and play high-level championship caliber basketball? If it weren't Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, I would say there's no way. There's no way they're going to get to the finals. And yet, I mean, I haven't done my final predictions yet, but as of today, I would pick them to go to the finals. I just think the the level of talent and co- in combination with the high basketball IQ that these guys, I mean, they are smart basketball players. They're not just talented. These guys are geniuses on the basketball court in their own respective ways. And I think that chemistry that they have, that IQ that they have, as well as the other guys on this roster, like Blake Griffin at his older age, Joe Harris, you know, these guys are smart players. I think they can make it work. I mean, and plus they'll get an easier first round series to get going to develop some chemistry before things get really, really tough in the second round against either the Bucks or the Miami Heat. Either of those teams are going to be tough, but I do see a path for the Nets to get to the finals despite the fact these guys haven't played. And in some ways, I look at that and it's disappointing. Because these teams that have been together for years and that have built up, you know, added guys like the Bucks have or the Sixers have making tweaks. And then this team comes out of nowhere <laughs> with this collection of all-stars mashed together that barely played together over the full regular season. 
could go to a finals. It's just kind of weird, but um, ultimately that speaks to the level of talent that they have. And that's not that's also not to take away from the, what the Nets did making these big time moves too. It doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. Toughest potential Eastern Conference opponent for them. I think it's Philly because of what Embiid brings to the table. I don't think they particularly have mm. an answer for Joel Embiid. And I admit, KLC, I'm invested in Philly to win the East, and I'm invested in them to go and win the NBA title. Juicy odds from the beginning of the year. You on board with that, yes or no? Yeah, I'm on board with Philly from a matchup standpoint, and uh, I, a lot of it's because of Joel Embiid. Um, but that's not to discount what the Bucks could do to them because the Bucks, with their versatility on the defensive end of the floor, on paper, the Bucks could be the, the tougher challenge because they are so much more switchable on defense, and that's what could stop the Nets. However, a lot of that is theoretical. The Bucks have a lot to prove. We'll see what they do in their first this round series. This first round series, KOC, so fascinating. Oh, my. Miami embarrassed them last year. Let's yeah. be honest. They whooped them. They punked them. And now you got to play them again in the first round. I don't, I'm seeing the series price for Milwaukee at minus 300. I, in no way, shape, or form, would lay 300 with that team. No yeah. way. Not against Miami. I, I, I would not feel comfortable with that either. That Miami Heat team is really tough. Like, they could beat the Bucs. <laughs> so, you know, with, with Milwaukee has a lot to prove. I feel like Philly, it's obvious the Embiid matchup with the lack of size for the Nets is, is an issue. And they're going to have to double him a lot, which means you're relying on, you know, guys missing shots. The Sixers are going to get open shot opportunities for Tobias Harris spotting up, for Seth Curry spotting up. So that's we'll live with that. Um, but sometimes if you live with that, you might die with it. And for Brooklyn, uh, they're going to have to really, really pressure Embiid uh, rather than go with single coverage. That LaMarcus Aldridge loss, that's when, it's, when it will be most apparent if they face off with the Philadelphia 76ers. I always love trying to figure this out this time of the year. How many teams legitimately have a shot to win an NBA title? Specifically in the Western Conference. It's weird, dude. I mean, you see Utah and yeah. Phoenix, one and two. You got the Lakers playing in the plane. The Clippers, who knows what that team's DNA might be. Who in the Western Conference right now? Because you got the big three in the East. You got Philly, you got Brooklyn, you got Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah. Who in the Western Conference? Lakers are going to be Vegas favorites. It's LeBron, it's AD. It doesn't matter where they're playing. Who are the teams that can legitimately win a title you think out West? So besides the Lakers, you know, as you said, I mean, Utah's for real, man. Uh, I feel like because of what they've done in the past, a lot of the time people are discounting them. But this team has leveled up. You know, Donovan Mitchell is a better player than he was before. Mike Conley is way more comfortable than he was last season with the Jazz. Rudy Gobert, I know people hate on him. I know people make fun of him. But Gobert is a legitimate star-level impact player on both ends of the court. What he does is beyond the box score. And this whole Utah team, all season long, they've shown the adaptability to beat different teams, to play different styles, to run their offense through different guys. I expect the Utah Jazz, if they were to face the Lakers, to really take that to a potential game seven if they were to meet in the either first round <laughs> or in the conference finals, depending on how the playing tournament goes. But that Utah Jazz team has a real shot. And just to add a couple others, since you asked, like, who else? Phoenix, I would give them a real shot. The Clippers, I would give a real shot. And you can never discount Stephen Curry. And well, how about Green. that, man? The year he has had <laughs> is phenomenal. The problem is I just don't know where the secondary scoring is coming from. Yeah. You know, KLC, can I see Curry go and win a series? Can I see him beat the Lakers later on? Yes. Can I see him go... Get hot in a first-down series, say, I'm the best player on the floor. 
I'm not losing, sure. I just don't know if he can do that for three rounds. In this Western Conference, dude, I think it's asking too much. Yeah, it definitely could be. But, like, if they get the seven seed, let's say the, let's say the Warriors get the seven and beat the Suns. Let's say the Nuggets beat the Blazers. Or the Blazers beat the Nuggets, for that matter. I yeah, I like Steph, Am I crazy I, and, to like Portland in that series, by the way? Uh, I mean, you no, know, I don't think you're crazy. I could see that going seven for sure. Because it's a coin flip yeah. in Vegas. It's minus 115 only for the Nuggets, which I thought was low. Uh, I'm I'm leaning towards Denver in that series, but it it is rightfully a coin flip. That's going to be tight. But, like, Steph, if they beat the Suns, if they upset them, they could beat the Nuggets or Blazers. And then you got a conference finals against the Jazz or the Lakers in all likelihood, maybe the Clippers. I mean, I wouldn't pick the Warriors in that series, but I'm saying like anytime you have Stephen Curry playing at the level that he is, you got a chance. Like, he is playing at an all-time level right now, some of the best basketball of his entire life. And we've seen some great moments from Steph, but you can't count out Stephen Curry. You just can't. Final one. Knicks moving forward, bigger picture. They have a culture now. It seems like they have a foundation, but you know this better than anybody. Stars winning the NBA. You want to win a title, you have got to have star players. In fantasy land, I'll put you in fantasy land right now, KLC. We live in fantasy land here in New York, New York. (laughs) Who would be the guy that you're thinking about maybe this summer, maybe it's two summers from now, that can eventually get the Knicks into that championship contender type of conversation? Um, You know, Maybe, like, realistically, a Bradley Beal type. You know, Bradley Beal, if he were to leave Washington, uh, sometimes I think you have to expect the unexpected. I mean, like, today, Damian Lillard is not available. Like, he's not available. It's just not available. He's not even available anytime in the near future. But sometimes the guys who are never available become available. And so, like, guys who might be in situations that could later be, you know, a non-playoff team, a Damian Lord, I look at in a situation like that as a you know a long shot, um, but that's who the Knicks have to be thinking about and planning for any potential scenario that could pop up. Because right now, like it, it really is unclear who the next star is that's going to either tr- be traded or change destinations through free agency. It, like I don't know. So for the Knicks, it's about projecting ahead to those guys that we aren't really looking at right now. Um, but I'm sure they'll have opportunities. And that wasn't that the most important thing for the Knicks. Well, this and would you say now that the perception and the culture around the NBA, because I'm living in the New York bubble. I get that right now. I feel like for the first time in 15 years, they're not a dysfunctional mess that yeah. they are, you know, moving in that right direction. Is that the feeling amongst a whole lot of people around the NBA? 100%, 100%. And like, that was the key for the Knicks entering the season. It's just changing perception. You know, making themselves like they didn't have to be the four seed. They could have been the 11 seed, just missed out on the play in, and it could have been a successful season because they, if they look competent on the court, everything was above and beyond what anybody could have expected. And people around the league, when they talk about the Knicks, suddenly, you know, it's gone from this dumpster franchise with an owner that nobody likes and a dysfunctional front office and no coaching staff, no good young players. It's gone from that to people saying, oh, the Knicks are the next team that's going to land the next star. And I don't know who that guy is, but they're in a position with the young players that they have, with the draft picks that they have, and the fact that they're New York, they're going to be the next team in line, first in line to get that next star player. So it's hard to believe how quickly it's changed, but that it really just shows. Like, look at the Clippers. They went from a team that had nothing to best young team in the league to having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Boom, overnight. 
that can happen for the Knicks too. I don't know when, um, but even like besides looking ahead right now, things are pretty good, aren't they? They sure are. That's music to my ears. (laughs) Thanks for doing this. Don't be a stranger. And hopefully the next time I have you on, if it's award season, I can kind of somehow, some way, uh, <laughs> use my persuasive opinion in a coach of the year ballot. Just hey, saying. Who knows? It might be the NBA finals. <laughs> oh, I mean, listen, now, now we're really there. Thanks, KOC. <laughs> Thank you. That's the great Kevin O'Connor, the mismatch. I mean, listen, you're a Nick fan. Think about the perception a year ago to what it is right now. Listen to voicemails coming up. Crazy day all around. New York, New York. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So that was fun. Kevin O'Connor. The NBA ringer superstar. That's the first time we ever had a conversation, on the air at least. A lot of those. A lot of firsts for New York, New York, even though we're 20 episodes in. First chat with Michael Kay. First chat with a mayoral candidate. First chat with KLC. Not bad. And I love his work. I think he couldn't be more wrong when it comes to Tibbs and Monty Williams. Listen, Monty Williams has done a fabulous job with the Phoenix Suns. That team had a boatload of talent going into the year. The Knicks, all you need to know about the Knicks this year, folks, their win total in Vegas was in the low 20s. Now, I don't have the Phoenix total off the top of my head, but I can tell you this. It was probably fourth or fifth or sixth in the Western Conference. Most basketball folks that you talk to back in November and December Believed Phoenix would be a good team this year. And that's not taken away from the job that Monty did. Not trying to do that. But I expected Phoenix to be a quality basketball team. Did I expect the Knicks to be 10 games over 500 and hosting a first-round playoff series? No chance. No way. So from that standpoint, this is not the New York bias kicking in. To me, it's just real talk. Team was a dumpster fire. He turned them around, snap a finger. I got to reward that. So, as we move forward throughout the month of May, which means NBA postseason, that means all sorts of great baseball that's going on. And you're wondering, first time listening to New York, New York, or you've been listening since day one, but you still don't know how to get in touch with the show. It's very, very easy. 917 382 1151. That's 917-382-1151. And for what it's worth, we during the postseason will be rocking and rolling with some sort of content every single day after Nick playoff games. Now, we will have our traditional schedule Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights, but we are working on something that I think is going to be a ton of fun that will involve live interaction. And we'll unveil what that's going to be on Thursday. I'm giving you a little dangling carrot right now. So I hope for all of you who are listening, you make a mental note of it because I'm going to pay it forward in a couple of days. But we are working on something. So if you're wondering, is JJ going to be on after every single Nick game? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. And I'll give you a little bit more in detail on how exactly we're going to do it. On that note, 
Listen to voicemails. Let's get them going. So who do we got? James, it's Sean from Long Island. I'm sure you saw all the articles yesterday about the obscenely fucking high prices for Nick's Hawks tickets. And that got me thinking. I was curious, what is the maximum amount you would be willing to pay to attend this Nick's Hawks series in person? Just one game. How much would you be willing to pay? Thanks. Enjoying the show so much so far. Bye. That's a good question. I would say for me, I got to sit in good seats. That's number one. Number two, it's got to be a night where the Knicks are the only game in town. You know, if it's a game seven, game seven actually is where I want to go with this conversation. I'd pay 800 bucks to go to a game seven and have decent seats. 800 bucks. I I can't be sitting in the last row of the upper deck. Been there, done that. I don't need to do that because I need to focus on the ins and outs of every single play. Here's the good news about these ticket prices for what it's worth. They are so crazy high at this point because they haven't been necessarily released to the general public. You know, I've done a lot of these pre-sales where you can jack up the prices and go crazy with them. I saw Ian Begley over at SNY tweeted this out. You're going to see some more affordable seats within the next few days. Now, affordable might mean getting in the building for 250 bucks, but sure beats paying 900 to sit in the last row to 200s. Who's up next? Yo, JJ, Dean Westchester. Thanks for taking my other call about the Knicks. Appreciate that. I had to get that off my chest. But anyway, I got two quick, two quick ones for you. First, I think the people need New York, New York merch. All right, so let us know if that's coming. I don't know if that's something the ringer does, but hey, I love the logo. It'd be great to get that on a shirt, on a hat. We want to support you, brother. And number two, I wasn't so upset when the Yankees missed out on Shohei Otani a few years back, but now the guy's killing it. He's a lefty bat. He just took a pitch four some odd feet above uh, above ground out to left field. Would have been amazing having this guy killing it with the short right field porch. And hey, who wouldn't who doesn't you know who would argue with another starting pitching arm? So what's your take on Otani, man? Looks like this guy, you know, a little shaky to start his career, but looks like he's getting it going this year. And uh his numbers are freaking eye popping. He's doing it on both sides of the ball. Alright man. Again, appreciate it. And uh let us know when those shirts are coming. Thanks, brother. Excellent point. We gotta work on some merchandise. That is a great, great point. And the logo is sick, by the way. It's just, it's fantastic. I want, I want a billboard, actually, for my Zoom background to have it rocking and rolling. So I may have to, you know, place a couple of calls. Maybe I'll shoot a text to Uncle Bill, and we'll see if uh, Uncle Bill can turn it to Santa Claus for us on that. That's a terrific, terrific idea. I wanted Otani. I was so intrigued by the dual threat capabilities that he brought to the table. I wanted him. I was bummed out when the Yankees didn't get him. And yes, I wish Shohei Otani was a Yankee. His swing is tailor-made for Yankee Stadium. He is the lefty power bat. He's an athlete. And oh, by the way, he's a pretty damn good pitcher too. If the Angels are any good this year, any good, I'm talking 500 or better, which is asking a lot right now because remember, Mike Trout's going on the injury list now for the next four to six weeks. And the Angels are just an incredibly top-heavy team that's poorly put together. But if they are close to playoff contention, Shohei Otani, if he keeps this up, is going to win an MVP. Long, long way to go before we're diving into the ins and outs on that. But, yeah, I wish Shohei Otani was the Yankee. That's an obvious one for me. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Billy from Queens again. Uh, I hear a lot of talk on the podcast these days about Julius Randle for most improved player. Tom Thibodeau for Coach of the Year, and and I don't disagree. I really don't. 
But if we're going to talk NBA awards in New York, we got to talk about Sean Marks for NBA Executive of the Year. We have to. Besides bringing the big three there, which should get him the award on its own, he's assembled a supporting cast that is not scrubs at all. Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton, who was waiting in the wings after he got rid of Jared Allen. This team is legit. They haven't had the big three all year, and they're still winning. You've got to give them credit. I'd be really curious to hear if you think that there's any executive that even comes close. Nets fans, stand up. Make yourselves heard. Go Yanks. Go Nets. Peace. I think that's reasonable. Marks has done a fabulous job the last two years. Now, it makes your job as an executive that much easier when you have star players. For example, a guy like Blake Griffin is going to be much more inclined to sign with a team like Brooklyn when Durant and Irving and Harden are here. I was a critic. I was a skeptic of the Harden trade. I still need to see it pay off in the postseason. He was brilliant coming over. So I got to give all the credit and all the credit in the world for Marks for having Hutzpah to pull that trade off where he depleted a whole lot of the roster debt, including Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. Harris is a terrific, terrific player. They have quality role players on this team. I still worry about their size. I still worry about what kind of defense they're going to play. Offensively, they're impossible to stop. So you want to put Sean Marks, executive of the year, be my guest. I don't have a problem with it. I would say it's Marks and whoever's running Phoenix. I, 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 the GM off the top of my head, I cannot remember his name, but one of those two guys. Who's up next? JJ, what's up, brother? It's JK out in Sayville. Want to wish you a happy birthday. Hope you had a great weekend down in Baltimore. Saw you drinking the Eddie Murray IPA. Fans want to know. I'm headed out to the Bronx in a couple of weeks. Uh, what are you drinking when you're out at the stadium? What's your, uh, what's your go-to? Are you a Stella guy? You get into the uh, Blue Point. Uh, pinstripe Pilsner. What are you drinking? Let us know. Love the show, bud. That's an excellent, excellent question. It honestly depends on my mood. Now, the beer selection at Yankee Stadium is not what it normally is because of everything that's gone on with COVID. Because remember, they took all the taps away. So right now at these stadiums, all they do is they give you cans. So for the first couple of games of the year, let's see, I went to opening day. I went to a game against the Orioles. I went to a game against the Braves, and I went to the Astros games at Yankee Stadium. I actually started off 0-3 at my first three games this year. Thankfully, I've gotten hot, and I think I've won my last three. Order has been restored. But to answer your question, the pinstripe Pilsners, solid choice. Now, I'm annoyed. Maybe somebody at Yankee Stadium is listening to this. They'll take care of this. Can they get a little Kona in the stadium? A little corner big wave, corner longboard. I love that shit. It's terrific. It's absolutely terrific. Um, they don't serve Sam at Yankee Stadium. I can understand why. See, I got into trouble when I went up to Fenway in 2019. The 76 was on tap. And it's good. I mean, it's strong, it's a little stronger though than you you wanted a mill miller light butt light. So I was pounding those through. We made it to the baseball tavern and I was on another planet. Oh. 1, 1.30 in the morning, I was on another planet. But to answer your question, I think it's been pinstripe Pilsners and Coronas. That's the beer of choice for now. We'll see if that evolves over the course of the year. Who's up next? 
Hey, JJ, Nick and Rockville Center here. And I've watched a lot of hockey the past few days, and I've freaking loved it. I absolutely loved it. But the one thing that I've noticed, trying to look at it through a New York lens, is that the Rangers are not tough enough to compete with any team in the playoffs, especially not the East. East, forget it. Especially East. The Rangers cannot compete with being as soft as they are, having been exposed by Tom Wilson and the Capitals. They are not tough enough to compete. And you know what? I can't stand James Dolan because I'm a big-time Knicks fan, but I think he may have been right. That team needs to toughen up, firing everybody because the Rangers have been soft. They're exposed to soft. And you know what? Like I said, I, I'm, I'm going to give Jim, James Dolan pro, uh, props. I never did that. And I think he deserves them just because the Rangers are way too soft to even think about competing, it, not even in the playoffs, but just to be in the playoffs. I want to hear what you think. All right, thanks, JJ. I think that is a critique that a whole lot of Ranger people have thrown out over the last few weeks to why the change was made within the front office. Because on the surface, it looked like the front office was doing a damn good job collecting young talent, bringing back a guy like Kreider, going and bringing in Panarin. Yeah, they got pushed around. You saw it in the Wilson incident. You saw it against the Islanders. This is a team that's been pushed around this year. I think that will be a priority for them as they form this new brain trust over the next couple of weeks, they're going to try and get tougher. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work, but that is something that they have put certainly atop the priorities list. And you're right. That was the edict from James Dolan. We'll find out if it was an edict that was worthwhile because I thought the Rangers had competent people in place. That was my thought, considering they're going through a rebuild. Now it's very much a wait and see. That Islander-Penguin series has been fun. whole lot of quality defense going on. And the Islanders, listen, tough loss after game number two. Got off to a bad start. You would have liked to see a couple more opportunities in that final sequence. You're on a power play. Felt like they didn't get one good scoring chance on that power play. You got two-man advantage when you're pulling the goaltender. Come on, let's go. Two to go. Who's on a horn? JJ, what's up, man? This is Will from Manhattan. You know, I wish I could say I was a first-time caller, but I called about a week ago. My call didn't make it on the air. I don't know what's going on with your selection process. You call, you selected somebody who had a similar sounding call to mine, but I'd like to think that my uh, point of contention was a little bit better. But anyway, let's move on to other things. I have a couple things I wanted to talk to you about. First one, let's fucking go with the Knicks. Super excited with the Knicks. Biggest thing I'm fired up about is having Tibbs in the playoffs. I think he's going to have this team really, really well prepared. And I think the MSG atmosphere is also going to be potentially a deciding factor. Obviously, Atlanta's really good, but I like the Knicks. I like the chances, and I'm just super pumped to see them in the playoffs. Anyway, the reason I'm calling, the main reason I'm calling, I was listening to Michael Kay today on your uh, your interview with him. Enjoyed it. I'm a big Mets fan, and uh, I have to say I take a lot of contention with Michael Kay's assertion that David Cohn is the best pitching analyst in the game. Are you kidding me? He's not even the best pitching analyst in New York. Ron Darling, my friend easily the best pitching analyst. He does national games. He does the local games, 2AT, Gary Keith and Ron, best booth in baseball. It's like, fight me on that one if you want. I will go to the grave with that, and that's not even an unpopular opinion. Gary Keith and Ron forever. Let's go Mets. Let's go Knicks. Thanks, JJ. Love the show. Well, I appreciate that, Will. Now, first things first. I have absolutely no say. In case you guys and gals are wondering about the voicemail 
procedure and how it goes down. I have no idea who's calling it. Saruti is my witness, can tell you this. Saruti, we have done 20 episodes. Have I listened to one voicemail before the start of a show? No, and you don't want to hear him either. I want to be surprised. I put the confidence in my guy, Saruti, to pick the ones that are winners. We take a ton. We interact with as many of you as humanly possible. But I am not like pre-listening and premeditating voicemail thoughts and trying to, you know, orchestrate and figure out what we're going to do. What the hell with that? What kind of lame show would that be? Now, number two. Kay is biased, and I'm going to be biased. I think David Cohn is the best analyst right now in baseball. It's close. Ronnie's amazing. Ronnie's right there. Coney and Darling are like one and one A as far as I'm concerned. I think they're both amazing. You like Darling? I like Cohn. I mean, either one's doing a big game. You're in a good spot. That's like trying to decide personally between, for me at least, in a play-by-play standpoint, Ian Eagle or Al Michaels doing a game. I love them both. I think they're incredible. I mean, Al's been doing it for 50-some years. I am for the last 35. You give me either one of those guys doing a game, I am like, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm satisfied. So, depends on your mood. You're a Met fan. You want to hear Ronnie a little bit more? Great. Yankee fan, want to hear Coney a little bit more? Great. Here's what I know. New York City, we got two amazing top-notch pitching analysts. So, enjoy that. Last but not least, who's on a horn? JJ, it is your old buddy, Mike in New Haven. You were on my podcast a few years ago. Uh, miss you on FAN, but I'm very happy that you have this podcast. Congratulations. I wish you nothing but success going forward. Uh, so that being said, I, you know, the last time the Knicks made the playoffs, I was 13. So now I'm 21 and I'm getting to experience this all over again. And I have a concern. Uh, Alfred Payton, simply put, is, uh, shall we say, not good. Uh, he is very bad, as a matter of fact. And uh, Trey Young, uh, got to the contrary, and the Atlanta Hawks is actually, well, quite good. So it's a matchup problem. Uh, if you're Tom Thibodeau, who do you slot on Trey Young to minimize his impact and minimize the damage that he can do so that the Knicks, you know, can contain what is essentially the Hawks' best player? Yeah, they have Capella, and yeah, John Collins is a nice solid piece, too. But obviously, Trey Young's the one that can do the most damage, and Alfred Payton is not going to do a good job for my money of mitigating that. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Anyway, I hope you're doing well. Congratulations. Much success to you. You're killing it. Uh, and I got to have you back on the podcast sometime. Take care, my friend. Well, that's the great Mike in New Haven, one of my longtime regulars over at WFAN. I did go on his media podcast a couple of years ago. Really enjoyed it. Did a fabulous, fabulous job. Alfred Payton is a whipping boy. Mike brought his name up. I've brought his name up. This is no surprise. Alfred Payton has been a... Bit of disappointment this year. I don't want him playing big-time minutes for this team down a stretch of games. I'm also not going to mess with the juju currently. And right now, the juju around the Knickerbockers is quite good. Alfred Payton can start. He could play for a couple of minutes. And I know he's coming out of the game. I know you're going to see Derrick Rose. I know you're going to see Emmanuel quickly. I know you're going to see Burks, Bullock, etc. I'm not getting all worked up about Alfred Payton starting. Now, if he's closing out games, I'm not going to be particularly happy. But if you've watched the Knicks down a stretch of this year, you haven't seen a lot of Alfred Payton at the end of these games. Now, when it comes to Gordon Trey Young, I don't look at it, Mike, where I say it's one individual that's going to take the assignment. 
My guess is that Tibbs is going to say, we're going to throw a bunch of different bodies at him. We're going to make him work really, really hard. And hopefully he runs out of gas at the end of these games and at the end of the series. And the Knicks defense will end up being the difference. And I think the Knicks defense and the way they are coached and the pace that they're going to play is going to end up being the difference in this series. Tight series, competitive series. Haven't finalized the pick yet, but I am picking the Knicks to win this series. Shocker. I won't next round. I can guarantee you that. I am not picking the Knicks no matter who they play next round. Well, I guess it would be Philly by default. Be Philly. Let's get there first, though. You know? Let's get there first. I will be picking the Knicks to win this series, in case you're wondering. I wouldn't have against Miami. I wouldn't have against Milwaukee. Against Atlanta, I like the matchup. When we come back, we're going to set the stage for a couple of series prices in the NBA. Not only that, we got the PGA Championship this week. So I'm going to give you one or two guys that I have my eyes on. It is as wide open a field in the PGA Championship as I have ever seen. I mean, look at the favorites. Rory is the favorite right now. He's at like 11 to 1. So you don't have anybody under 10 to 1 that tells you the odds makers, they don't have a damn clue. So we'll beat talk to wrap up New York, New York. Busy week. The Beaks are alive. We're coming right back. So now that the NBA playoffs are upon us, I love getting involved with these series prices. They're so much fun. They're easy to root for. And I have a strategy that has worked pretty well over the last couple of years. If there's a favorite you like, and you don't want to lay 300 with them. I think the Lakers were in this spot last year against Portland. And it comes to mind. They lost game one. And they went from being like minus 400 or minus 350 in a series to like minus 160. I pounded the Lakers in that scenario. Pounded. I said, I'm going to get the Lakers and LeBron James at minus 160 to win a playoff series. I will take my chances. Be on the lookout for such value as these series get going. It's not always going to be the case. Like, Milwaukee lost last year, I want to say, to some terrible team. I think it was Orlando last year. I could be wrong on this, but I think it was Orlando. It might have been somebody else. It doesn't matter. They won the next four games. But even in game two, they were minus like 550 or 600. And I was right about that. It was Orlando. I wouldn't remember, but, you know, my memory works in weird places. What can I tell you? That's where you got to be aware. You're not laying 550 for a team down 1-0. At 150 and at 200, decent value. Now, I'm going to tell you the game I'm absolutely betting tomorrow. I will be all over this game. I'm taking Golden State plus the five points against the Lakers. I'm getting five points with Curry and the way he's playing right now. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Because I expect that game to be a doozy. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I expect to have a couple of cocktails late into the night. And I will be rooting on the Warriors, who went from a seven-point underdog to a five-point underdog. And everybody and their mother is on the Lakers. And that line moves two points. Circle that one. Warriors plus the five. And if I'm feeling frisky enough, I might even bet Golden State on the money line. We'll see. But for sure... New York, New York audience, I am taking Golden State plus the five. I'm not going near the other game. Memphis and San Antonio, that's a stay away for me. Not going anywhere near that game. I got the one game I want to bet. It's the premier game of the night. Warriors, Lakers in 
a plan. Better be a lot better than Tuesday night because the games on Tuesday night absolutely sucked. I mean, they were just not good. Now, serious prices. And our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook are all over these. The Clippers are minus 430 against Dallas. That's just way too high. I'm not, I'm not laying 430 with the Clippers. But here's what I will do. If the Clippers lose game one, I'll absolutely take them to win the series. If I can get them at under 2-1, to one, I will absolutely play the Clippers to win that series. Now, the Portland-Denver line is moving a lot. Portland is now favored against Denver. Denver's the three seed, yet Portland now is minus 115. That's some interesting line movement. And with Jamal Murray being out in this series, I think that could be problematic for Denver. Atlanta and the Knicks, listen, it's a coin flip, according to Vegas. Minus 115, minus 105. Flip of a coin. Not for me, though. Not when the Knicks have home court advantage and have this tenacious defense that they bring to the table. And then the other series price that's available, because remember, a couple of these are not up yet because you got to see what happens with Indiana and Washington. You got to see what happens tomorrow with all the Western Conference games. So there's only a couple of these that we can tackle at this point. Miami and Milwaukee is juicy. And it's juicy because... Last year, if you listen to my show, the Miami Heat were very, very good to us. We took them in every playoff round. They were plus money in a couple of those series. They were big underdogs against Milwaukee. They were decent underdog against Boston. And they helped pay for some drinks over the course of the summer and into the fall. Even though I didn't like them against the Lakers, I felt obligated to take them. It's like you got to go down with the ship, took them plus games, still made some money. I am very tempted to take Miami again. Now, Milwaukee's a lot tougher. Bringing in P.J. Tucker, bringing in Portis, that should help them. And I know Miami has not been the same team this year. But I'm getting Jimmy Butler and Bam and Eric Spolstra against a team that never wins in the postseason at plus 240. It's good value. That's good value. I wouldn't lay minus 310 with Milwaukee. (laughs) Hell no. I'm playing that series. And right now, the only two that I have locked in are the Knicks and I have locked in Portland. I have not locked in Miami yet. But if I were going to play that series, I would take Miami plus 240 because I think the value, quite frankly, is too good. Now, we got the PGA Championship coming up. And it's a weird PGA Championship because normally there is a pretty significant and a pretty sizable favorite, not with the uncertainty of this course. Out on the island, whole lot of wind, whole lot of craziness. That's my expectation. I need a guy who's going to be able to hit the ball and hit it far, but is not going to be hitting it crazy high in the air. I know that's going to sound like a convoluted answer. You got to be able to hit with power, but... You can't be erratic here on this particular field because, of course, it's going to eat you alive. Two guys that I have my eye on for the PGA Championship. And I gave out Patrick Cantlay at the Masters, and it was a dud. A dud. He was finished by day one, and I'm saying one God's name that I don't. I'm going back to the well here with Cantlay. I'm going back to the well. He's at 40-1 to to win this tournament. 
I feel like he's bound to break through in one of these majors. I'm in on Cantlay. I'm going to take a stab. I'm going to take a shot. The other guys I am looking at, I'm looking at Berger at 23 to 1. And I'm also looking at my dude, Patrick Reed, at 36 to 1. I do get a sense the Southern player is going to have an advantage here on this course. Now, Rory is the favorite. I don't like giving you the favorite. It's no fun. If I'm playing any of the favorites, though, Rory would be the choice, which I hate advising you on. DJ, I hate where he's at right now. It seems like he's got way too many distractions. It seems like he's got way too much stuff going on. So I'm out on DJ. Rom never wins these majors. Until I see him win one, I'm not going anywhere near Rom. JT, 15-1? I would think about it. And I think a whole lot of people are going to be on the speed train. I will not be. It's a little too trendy. So Daniel Berger, 23 to 1. Patrick Cantlay, 41 to 1. Patrick Reed, 36 to 1. That's what I have circled for this year's PGA Championship. And I will probably add a beak or two after Thursday's competition. I think that's something we'll definitely get involved with. So good stuff all around. This is a great time of the year because the beaks are alive. You know, we've gone through a whole lot of regular season baseball, and basketball where I've kind of been laying in the weeds. Now I feel like a caged animal. I'm ready to pounce. I'm ready to be unleashed. We got a whole lot of gambling stuff that we'll be bringing to the New York, New York family. Presented by FanDuel, of course. What do you expect? Before we say goodbye, I know the Beaks are always alive with this guy, our buddy, Jeff Money. What up, Money? What's up, JJ? Just money here. The handicapper picks is going to be for Wednesday, May the 19th. I like three games. I got one in Major League Baseball. I'm going to go with both the play and basketball game. Start out my money play in baseball. I take the San Francisco Giants minus the 115 over the Reds. It'll be uh, Gusman versus Mile. Now, Gusman is 2-0 and with a 1.7 ERA in the road. So give me the Giants minus the 115 game number one. Game number two, NBA, we're going to... Pick, we're going to go with the San Antonio Spurs plus the floor, four over the Grizzlies. The last four meetings, the road teams won the game outright. So give me the Spurs plus the four. In game number three, I'm going to take the Warriors plus the five over the Lakers. I think this game's going to be real close. So we're going to go with the dogs there. So again, money play. We're going to take in baseball, San Francisco Giants minus the 115. In the NBA, we're going to take the Spurs plus the four and the Warriors plus the five. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, Jeff Money has been rotting the San Francisco Giants. They've been a cash cow the first couple weeks of the year. I mean, they've been covering games left and right. They've been the biggest surprise in the National League, without question. So I'm never going to get on Jeff Money for riding a hot team. They are red hot. We're on the same page with the Warriors. I think it's going to be a big day for Steph Curry. We're fading the public. I'm getting five points. I like that. And... I'm not going near San Antonio and Memphis. You're going contrarian with the Spurs because a lot of the money right now is coming in on the Memphis Grizzlies. You get four points with Popovich in a playoff game against an inexperienced Grizzlies team. It's not a bad bet. I just don't have a great feel on the game. I do have a great feel on Golden State, and that's why I'm riding with Golden State. And listen, it's fun rooting against LeBron James. Let's be honest. And I don't even like the Warriors that much. Now that that team has kind of been broken apart, I hope Steph goes for 55. I hope he pulls a Jason Tatum, and he's even more efficient. But we'll ride together with the Golden State Warriors. What 
is hopefully going to be, my friend, one of many family money plays of the course in the next couple weeks. This is a fun show. Loaded show. So when we're back on Thursday, a guy who knows the New York Knickerbockers very, very well, who was an assistant coach earlier this year, he was the last Nick coach to win a playoff series. Mike Woodson, the head coach at Indiana University, is going to join us. We'll have you covered. Knicks Hawks, the official prediction will be unveiled. Nets Celtics, the official prediction will be unveiled. We'll have a playoff schedule. We'll have all the baseball. Islanders moving forward. It's a great time to be alive. Great time to be a New York sports fan. And in case you're wondering, before we say goodbye, how do I get in touch with New York, New York? I'm in a good mood. I'm in a giving spirit. So I'm going to give you the number one more time. It's 917-382-1151. We'll chat Thursday. JJ out. Be good, everybody.